Welcome to Off The Fence. My name is James Fox. We're going to be talking about politics for the next half an hour or so, roughly that period of time. I've also got next to me another guy. Say who you are. Alex Maskell. It's good to have you here, Alex. It's good to be talking about this again. It's been a while. Um, it we, has been a while. We haven't, we haven't put up an episode in a while, so we thought we'd come back with what's been going on. And what has been going on? Well, this massive Cambridge Analytica scandal has happened in terms of uh, Facebook data leaks and tons of stuff that links the Leave campaign in the Brexit referendum and as well as the Trump election as well and lots across internationally, even links to sort of Russia. So we're going to be talking about that later on. We're also going to be talking about news about police cuts and how police forces across England and Wales are struggling to keep up with 999 calls. Um, so we're going to be talking about that all later on as well. Quickly though, mention two very fast stories um, that we thought we couldn't miss out, but they're worth skimming over. The first comes from The Independent, who said this, uh, Britain's post-Brexit blue passport, intended as an icon of the UK's regained independence from Europe, is set to be manufactured by a Franco-Dutch firm, according to reports. When I saw that, I just sort of smiled from ear to ear, kind of thinking, here we go. It's just emblematic of the yeah. entire thing, frankly. This is how it all plays out, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, you know, as like Pretty Patel did her thing, you know, this should be a moment that we should all be celebrating. The return of our iconic blue passport will re-establish the British identity, but to be putting the job in the hands of the French is simply astonishing. It's a national humiliation. We should be humiliated by how chintzy and nostalgic and over the hill we are. It's a national humiliation what she did going to Israel saying that we'll give aid to their military and then, you know, the whole flying back from Africa thing and... Yeah. That too. She is, she's given us more than our fair share of national humiliations. So, you know, if you want to talk about national hu- humiliation, Pretty Patel, you know, let's talk about your firing from the cabinet. So we're going to go forward now with what, what we're going to spend the majority of this episode talking about, which is Cambridge Analytica, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about already and they've got the kind of basic details on. But Alex, if you want to take this away, what are we going to be talking about with this? Well, uh, Theresa May and the Conservatives have been accused at length uh, in the Houses of Parliament of being you know, deeply untowardly connected to Cambridge Analytica. And this obviously follows uh, about a year of work from this Guardian journalist. I can't say her name. Can you say her name? Uh, Carol... Uh, Carol Cadwallader. Cadwallader. There we go. We'll go with that. Just, can you like insert a little bit of springing leaks here, please? <laughs> um, Carol Cadwallader. Cad- Cadwallader. I can't say her name. I'm, I'm going with Cadwallader. Yeah, it follows about a year's worth of um, uh, digging from her. Um, and it follows May 2017, an article she wrote headlined The Great British Brexit Robbery, which basically linked Brexit to Trump to Russia and around this kind of Cambridge Analytica circle and this kind of shady Steve Bannon ring and all these different players involved. Well, it's a Steve Bannon ring and it's also a Mercer family yeah. ring, which is probably the most pressing part. And at that time, it was kind of one of those stories that I think went over a lot of people's heads. It got a lot of attention in the kind of journalistic world that it could be something brewing. Yeah, but, but it, it didn't really break out no. to the outside. Um, But it did seem like something scary. And then she's followed this up and we get this massive interview in The Observer last Sunday with this gentleman, Christopher Wiley, who's kind of, he says, you know, the big quote in the headline is, I made Steve Bannon's psychological warfare tool. He Um, says psychological warfare. What he means is targeted advertising. Yeah. I mean, you take it away, Alex, and describe with what, what this kind of story is and then we'll bring it up to speed with the links to the MOD. 
Okay, so the story is that a researcher at the University of Cambridge uh, put together a Facebook quiz that would tell you your personality type. I think it was one of those MBTI things. Um, and essentially, uh, what he discovered was that by getting permissions from the people who used it, which is about 270,000 people, he could then also get permission to scrape data from all of their friends. Uh, to the point where apparently around 50 million people's data may have ended up in his original data set. And from there, he supposedly sold it to Cambridge Analytica. Now, this shouldn't have actually been allowed. Uh, Facebook's data laws don't allow you to sell the data that you glean from these things to a third party. And in fact, um, when Cambridge Analytica were informed of this, they claim that they immediately destroyed the data. However, uh, this whistleblower here claims that in fact they kept the data and they used it to direct their campaigns uh, for a number of right-wing, uh, like a number of right-wing causes. In particular, uh, the big ones being the Brexit referendum and the 2016 election. They basically used it as a way to target people for advertising that they might be susceptible to by looking at their interests and using that to build a, a kind of idea of what they might be into, what they might be receptive to, uh, how best to target them. This was something that was found to be extremely, like, capable of extreme accuracy. And so, essentially, that's what it comes down to. It, it was a it was a platform for massive targeted advertising. I think the the kind of problematic part around it is more the the obtaining of the data. Yes, the, it was meant to be used for academic purposes, and that's why Facebook released it. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, the the obtaining and alleged retention of the data is mm. the real part. Like it wasn't supposed to be for commercial use. Absolutely not, and it's certainly to be used for something this pernicious and this like you know sinister, particularly puts the practice in the worst possible light, and is really making people look at like those little permissions that they sign away whenever they do something on social media. Like, it's making them look at that a little differently. Like all those quizzes from 2008. Like, yeah. which, I didn't which know Middle Earth character? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, which Middle Earth character are you? Well, it turns out, um, you know, as our parents have gotten, you know, a bit older, and this sort of generation's parents have discovered Facebook, and now we've got older Facebook users, because Facebook originally was like millennials, in, you know, when it started, right? They were the first people to pick it up. And now it's kind of everyone uses it. The only people I ever see doing Facebook quizzes these days are you know people's mums and dads, people's grandparents, which is I, I always find pretty funny. It's like you're doing what we were doing when we were 16. <laughs> I just I don't know who still spends time on Facebook other than old people. This, this is true. It's the least interesting social media site. Everyone cool is on Twitter, uh, but so yeah, that's come up. And in addition, with incredible bad timing. Uh, Cambridge Analytica's CEO has been put on leave after being caught on camera by Channel 4. I feel like Channel 4 and the, and this this journalist at The Observer, clearly, you know, to do it on the same week, they were working together in some respect. Yeah, they were pro there was probably some kind of scuttlebutt going on here, yeah. especially since she obviously published this piece last year, which probably put Channel 4's journalists, you know, made them aware of her. Yeah. And so uh, what's kind of also fascinating is that as people have been looking into it, as we look at the uh, 
as we look at Cambridge Analytica and its alignment with a lot of very conservative like agenda items and groups, uh, it turns out that they have a number of ties to the Conservative Party. Uh, the SNP's Ian Blackford, uh, who's their parliamentary leader, one of their main MPs, uh, has you know, actively confronted Theresa May uh, over this, claiming that its founding chairman was a Tory MP and that a director of the company uh, had donated over $700,000 to the party. Uh, so it, it's... There are a lot of ties here that are potentially very, very concerning. Board members include an array of Lords, Tory donors, ex-British Army officers and defence contractors. Uh, apparently, this is, this is a scandal that cuts to the heart of the British establishment. That's from a piece on Bella Caledonia by Liam O'Hare, titled SCL, A Very British Coup. SCL being the parent company, which is Strategic Communication Laboratories. For all intents and purposes, when you're hearing about this story, Cambridge Analytica and SCL are, are basically the same thing. They're essentially synonymous, yeah. yes. When she was asked about this by Ian Blackford at PMQ, she said, we are not aware of any current contracts, no, which yeah. is a pretty key wording there. Because it's since emerged that three different departments have uh, have had contracts with SCL Group in the past. Yeah, and that's where uh, this really takes legs, this story, because yes, um, the data was obtained in a very... Um, uh, the, the the obtaining of the data has its problems as well, and they could you know there's various things to discuss there. And as you were saying, digital campaigning, and I feel like in the media this story is discussed as like a tech issue or a kind of a boring tech story. Or oh, p p political campaigns, they've been doing digital campaigning. They've been I using hate data. it when people do data. I know, it, 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 and it's it. I, I feel like it's not getting to the heart of this story. Whereas the difference between this. In, in, in some respects to traditional campaigning and you know messaging online um, Facebook adverts or whatever is the links that we see with this company whether you want to call them Cambridge Analytica or um, SCL they come from like a military psychoanalytic background the MOD GCHQ and I feel like it's those ties that they're trying to be suppressed at the moment yeah there is also a very real chance that um you know, something more untoward is happening here. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, but it, a notable social media researcher, Carl Miller, uh, actually pointed out a number of really good points about Cambridge Analytica, uh, which are worth bearing in mind to put this stuff in perspective. Uh, for a start, they started off working for Ted Cruz, not Donald Trump, and Donald Trump beat him with almost no organized digital campaign. And also, of course, uh, by far the best funded and most experienced digital team was Hillary's, not Trump's. Uh, you know, everyone's trying to figure out a reason why Trump won, and they can't actually look at societal or economic factors. They can't grasp that anything might have actually been wrong uh, with them or with their problems, so they're looking for, you know, dark magic. And it's, it's pushing them into really overpressing the Russia thing. It's pushing them into basically putting across the idea that like Cambridge Analytica is this uniquely evil adept thing when there's no way that the Hillary campaign and the Obama campaign before it didn't have more data to hand than this probably funded uh, like probably gained probably not as unethically but still not in a way that people would be un like comfortable with if they found out it, it's, it's a way of knocking around the fact that they fucked up this country didn't vote to leave because, 
you know, like we were manipulating. We were, you know, the country voted to leave because the Remain campaign just arrogantly tried to browbeat people into just voting for them without ever actually making a case for why it's necessary. Mm. You know, Trump didn't win because of Cambridge Analytica. Trump won because, frankly, Hillary Clinton was a deeply incompetent campaigner and the Democrats as a whole were unequipped to handle an election in the state of the country as it was then. Something bad definitely happened here in terms of how this data was accessed. And I'm glad that like data access and privacy are becoming real points of societal concern because they haven't been for the last decade or so. But frankly, I don't buy the political you know, criteria for making this a thing. Let's move on to the next story, okay? This is back to the UK centrally. This is Theresa May's uh, police forces and how they've changed under her home office because she was the Home Secretary for six years, I believe, until she became Prime Minister. So, let's go on that. This is a story that comes from The Guardian. What do they have to say? Uh, under pressure, police forces are taking days to respond to 999 calls that should be dealt with in an hour, the policing watchdog has said, as they came under, quote, significant stress from slashed budgets and increased demand. So, the police forces in the UK. Remember from the general election campaign uh, last year in 2017? A big part of that, under the two terrorist attacks that happened, those two big incidents, was that the police forces under the last seven years have just been slashed and they've been incredibly weakened. Um, the Met Police Force is one of the few that have managed to sustain their numbers. Um, we've seen cuts in police, um, both in, well, obviously they're linked, the funding that police forces get from central government and just the amount of officers that they've got, you know, on the front line. So this report um, is on police effectiveness and it has shown that a quarter of all forces in England, Wales, England and Wales are struggling. The worst of those at dealing with 999 calls are West Midlands, Greater Manchester and South Yorkshire. We'll come back to those three later on. So, I mean, we could say that police forces have been, we've been cut and you can can believe me or you cannot believe me but we're going to return to full fact which is like an official fact checking website which is pretty reliable and on police numbers they have this to say the number of police officers in England and Wales fell by just under 21,000 uh, compared back to March 2010 and I believe these figures are coming from 2017 last year or 2016 um, so there's not been there's probably even more since then the general trend since 2010 has been down and down and down where we actually have the number of police officers in England and Wales now, the level it was at around 2,000. So we've got the same amount of police on the front line as the year 2000, but do you think we've got the same amount of people in the country as the year 2000? Like The country's probably stayed the same population since then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the same population and also the same level of prosperity. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. no reason crime would be you know, we an don't issue need, now. We, <laughs> We can have the same... Yeah, obviously the population has massively increased since the year 2000. Don't even need to give you the figures on that. Everyone knows that and everyone can understand that. But yeah, if it actually goes any lower, and this is where it gets really interesting, if it goes any lower, because police numbers throughout the 90s were not changing much, you'd actually have the police numbers going back to sort of mid-80s sort of level if they get any lower than they are right now, uh, which conceivably could happen with a Tory government continuing. I'd, I'd like to think that 
the winds of change are going in the other direction now. There's enough pushback for public services to get more funding and it feels like the austerity agenda of the last seven years is collapsing slightly now. And the Tories are kind of having to be twisted on it. I mean, you'd hope. I was surprised to see how low police levels were back then, considering how vital police were in beating striking miners. But, um... I mentioned, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely troubling. I mentioned those three police forces earlier on, West Midlands, Greater Manchester and South Yorkshire, and I bring them back because I actually had a look at all the police forces, how much they've lost in terms of frontline numbers over the past seven years. And you can see the figures back to the 80s for all the police forces as well. Those three police forces, they're not exclusively the only three, but they're three of the ones that have lost the most amount of police officers. Metropolitan Police has got a similar amount of officers as 2000. And ten, but you could you could argue they deal with even more crime. So you'd expect it to be a lesser trend with them. But the other police forces, Greater Manchester, 2010, they had just over 8,000 police officers in 2017. Last year, they've got just over 6,000. West Midlands in 2010, they had eight and a half thousand. West Midlands just last year, they had six and a half thousand. And South Yorkshire in 2010, they had nearly 3,000. And South Yorkshire last year, uh, two and a half thousand. So you're seeing big drops, you know, 2,000 here, 2,000 police officers there, 500 police officers there. Um, And you'd like to think this doesn't have an impact. Of course it has an impact. It has an impact on how quickly police officers can get to the various crimes. And you want to hear the words for it, the people that actually put the report together? This is Zoe Billingham, Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, who led this inspection that brought this report forward. The Guardian report a quote from her about a quarter of forces are all too often overwhelmed by the demand they face, resulting in worrying backlogs of emergency jobs with officers not attending incidents promptly, including those involving vulnerable people. That's pretty involving vulnerable people, the the type of people that need the help the most from police and they're not getting it. And these are kind of like 999 calls that should be getting a very timely response. And the police just can't do it because there's just too much going on for yeah, them the, to be able to deal with. These should be priorities and they just don't have the resources to deal with them. This is what I find really interesting about the kind of the neoliberal, let's have the state as small as possible. And to be honest, under Tony Blair and his government, police forces rose a lot. There was a lot of funding there for public services. But especially that 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 Tory mindset of let's just cut the money, just cut the money. We can't, we've got to have, you know, we've got to cut the public sector. We have the private sector taking over. Um there's a point when like it just gets too it gets gets to the bone too much we need police in this country you need police in a country so that it doesn't just turn into like libertarian island where everyone just eats each other <laughs> don't you think well i mean that's the conservatives model for going forward they've been talking for but then years again about they're going to be fine because they've got like gates in front of their house probably you of know of course they will benefit from this being a low tax low services tax haven but you know, it's the rest of us who suffer. It's the most vulnerable who suffer. There you go. This is actually uh, following something earlier this week that happened that was quite interesting. And I believe it was Prime Minister's Questions and a few other times this happened as well, but it, it sparked from Prime Minister's Questions. Um, and this is where Theresa May, following PMQs, was rebuked by the UK Statistics Authority for misleading MPs and the public. She claimed that the government was providing an extra £450 million in funding to local police forces in 2018 to 2019. But this was actually backed up by a tweet by the Home Office as well. So she said it at PMQs. The Home Office tweeted it out. And not only that, 
there was a letter sent out by leader of the House of Commons, Andrea Leadsom, kind of saying this as well. 450 million in extra funding for the police. What the chair of the UK Statistics Authority, Sir David Norgrove, actually said was this. Quote, the Home Office tweet also implied that the 450 million sum is guaranteed. That's the same thing that Theresa May said as well. As the Minister for Policing statement outlined, up to 270 million of the funding settlement will come from local council tax. Hmm. It's coming it's not coming from central government at all. As no. she as you like, it's pretty fair enough to when the Prime Minister says we're putting in 450 million into the police forces, extra funding for local forces. You'd expect it to come to central government. There's no like mystery. You, thi- you would think that when the leader of central government said that, yes, <laughs> that is what you would assume. But it turns out up to 270 million of that funding settlement will come from local council tax if police and crime commissioners and mayors choose to raise these sums. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not even saying they have to do it, obviously, because local government is, is slightly different. In addition, the leader of the House of Commons stated that the 270 million that can be raised locally, that we just talked about, was on top of the overall settlement of up to 450 million. So you've got Theresa May saying, yeah, we're going to give 450 million. And then you've got Andrea Leadsom saying, yeah, we're going to give 450 million and that 270 million that the local, um, government, the local government can raise. So they don't even know, what, they're just saying the wrong things. Usually Tories sing from the same hymn sheet and this time they're not. I don't know if it's Brexit having an impact on them, but when I read that, I feel like that's like, a, like some aide fucking up, like writing a letter out or something or not quite getting the structure of government. There's quite interesting quotes from um, Sir David Norgrove as well. Um, the chair of the UK Statistics Authority later on he's like I think you know departments need to be like well versed in you know how funding should work for police officers and everything like that and how we should be explaining these things to the public and he did say you know in PMQs it's quite rushed you know it's quite a compressed format maybe people could you know say things wrong whatever and get it wrong basically you know letting the Theresa May off but um, you know the Home Office tweeted this out Andrea Leadsom sent out this letter you know it's not really Acceptable. Obviously, we had last year in the general election, Jeremy Corbyn, that Labour manifesto, 20,000 more police officers. Um, sorry, no, it was 10,000 more police officers getting halfway there to where we were in 2010. You know, it, it's a start, right? And that was one of the things that I think really turned the election round because policing, national security, these are issues that usually historically the left or the Labour Party are less strong on talking about. It's the, it's the ones where if you bring them up, and the Conservatives are more likely to take the the front foot on them. Yeah, yeah. the idea that the left are, quote, soft on crime has been kind yeah. of a canard of the right for a while, which usually just means soft on brutalising minorities. But... And following the Manchester terrorist attack, the other attack that happened about two days before the general election actual voting day, people were thinking in the wake of those, you know, oh, here we go, we'll get a bounce back to the Tories now. Um, they'll come out really strong and really hard on this. The country will want someone hard to deal with it. But no, we actually saw Jeremy Corbyn take this issue and in a really brave and I think bold move go, no, you know what? This is a matter to do with austerity. This is, you know, the police forces that have been cut and cut and cut that need to have that local connection with communities to be able to understand what's going on here and to stop, uh, you know, young vulnerable people from being radicalized to these movements and that goes for people on the far right and that goes for people uh you know you know being radicalized by islamist groups as well 
Uh, I thought that was incredible. And it was the same kind of brave, bold move that we saw on the foreign policy front following his Chatham House speech from Jeremy Corbyn in that election campaign where he said, you know what, ISIS, you know, all these terrorist attacks that are coming back that are being, you know, influenced by ISIS, you know, online and these young people that are grown up in the UK that are being radicalised by Islamist groups online that have come out from ISIS in the Middle East. You know what? You know, I said we shouldn't have gone into Iraq in 2003. And when I said all this was going to happen, we're going to destabilise the region. Something very nasty would come out of it. We'd see, you know, factional groups coming up everywhere, you know, sectarian violence. Um, and, and now it's, and it's happened, you know. And then I said all this was happened and now it's coming back. We need a different foreign policy, one that doesn't lead to these things. And we need a better police force. We need, you know, we need all these things to be working in tandem with a kind of a mindset that isn't, you know, cut, 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 or just bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, it's it was... I, that certainly was the moment where you kind of realised that the election had a real chance of going a very different way than people thought it did. Because uh, that was that was a moment where the entire conventional wisdom of what should have happened in that situation went completely out of the window. The, you know, the left-wing, cuddly socialist came out as more prepared to actually deal with the problem and understand the problem in, in, in its entirety it's almost like than the bloodthirsty conservative. Quite pragmatic, didn't he? And we're quite young, so we haven't seen a lot of general elections, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But for me, I felt like in those moments of the general election campaign last year, it felt like a different election, you know, like an election that we've not seen for quite a while, you know. And it turns out, we, you know, it was that. One of the most surprise, shock, you know, whatever we, what the words you want to use, elections for many years or decades rather. Yeah, a lot changed with that one. And in a lot of ways, it was rooted in stuff like this. An ability to acknowledge the extent to which austerity has kind of crippled this country and the things that, you know, we should be providing that we aren't able to for essentially ideological reasons. You can't keep people safe on the cheap is basically the attack line that Jeremy Corbyn used in the election. And it comes, and that's what he was talking about with police numbers. Yeah. So, you know, we've got the Tories coming out with this saying, uh, we're gonna have more funding for police numbers when it turns out, you know, they're lying about it. So just be straight, just say how much more money you're gonna put in. If you're gonna put more money in, just say you're gonna do it. There's no point lying about it. Um, either do it or don't. But then know. they have to do it, which they don't want to do. Yeah. Anyway, this has been Off The Fence with me, James Fox. Me, Alex Maskell. Thanks for listening. Soundcloud.com slash Off The Fence. Grab us on there. Twitter, at Off The Fence Talk, all on there. Grab us. This has been Off The Fence. Cheers for listening.